over a year of pages and pages and pages and hours and hours of, of someone pursuing a nakedly political goal in a disingenuous way about like, it's just a matter of, of a regulation that should tell you what to say. And I, I just, my belief about pr freedom of expression in, in for public officials is like very robust. And I, I, I feel like it's an affront, not just to me, but to like American politics to come at the way he's come so persistently. And so, I mean, you know, if he feels intimidated, that's, that's his right to assert that. But um, he certainly hasn't acted as if he was intimidated. He, I just think he's pursuing a political goal. So I'm, I, you know, you'll see me in the future, like, and then you can judge how often I actually like get visibly angry and cut someone off. Welcome to Unsolicited Bridge Picks. I am your host, Charles Winkleman. And I'm Brie Bills. And this one is a special one that is timely. We did not anticipate that it would be so timely. We just figured that given who we are, it might make sense to dig into this one first. Unfortunately, the past week and a half have made this brutally relevant. Of course, we're talking about how I got trolled by former chief of police, Brandon Del Pozo. And um, I just have never had an opportunity to share my side of the story while the chief has been going on a rehabilitation tour. You know, it's been like five months, six months, and he's changed. He's for defunding the police now. He's for <laughs> civilian oversight. He's for... Giving lip service to a lot of those things. Things. Anyway, <laughs> right. Right, but Anyhow. but now that it doesn't personally affect him, it's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Whatever. Yeah. So let's hop back to July of 2015. Brandon Del Pozo appeared on the scene. Yep. Educated, personable, experienced, impressive. Brandon Del Pozo was slated to be Burlington's next police chief. Uh, after 18 years in the NYPD and more degrees than you can shake a baton at, Del Pozo was ready to take on Burlington. He was ready to put the hip in leadership. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great. Keep going, Gabrielle. You're crushing it. Evidenced by the fact that he was the NYP Twitter whiz, by the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you looking at uh, this document with me? No, I haven't read it that carefully. I didn't want to know your jokes, so keep them coming. They're amazing. <laughs> They're so bad. Keep them coming. <laughs> okay. But not so fast. In spite of his remarkable resume, or perhaps more accurately, because of that remarkable resume, over 130 activists arrived to protest Del Pozo's confirmation. They cited not only the NYPD's, quote, problematic culture and its many practices that target black and brown people, but also Del Pozo's own views regarding racial profiling and maybe the possibility of his involvement in mosque surveillance post 9-11. It did not help that he worked under Commissioner Bill Bratton, who was right. the uh, architect of Stop and Frisk and so many other terrible things that the NYPD put upon brown and black people. Yes, but can you really be held accountable for your superior's actions that then you carry out and write in uh, support of? No, I mean, you know, just following <laughs> orders is has never gone poorly. And so... Uh... <laughs> so the decision of city officials? No biggie. Del Pozo was unanimously approved with one city councilor recusing herself due to a conflict of interest. Because she sold him his house and made about $15,000. <laughs> but the best part about conflicts of interest is they go away immediately. Like the moment after, it's over. According to the socialistworker.org, quote, city officials dismissed even calls to delay the appointment in order for more public input and review of this highly controversial hiring, end quote, which hardly feels like getting off on the right foot when it comes to building trust with the community, but 
hey, neither of us has an Ivy League degree. I need to be honest here. I actually did support Del Pozo when he first came here. And I even defended him on Twitter, which is a, a, an amazing level of irony that I forgot about until recently. But I remember him messaging me and being like, thank you so much. And me being like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then uh, he kept using Twitter. So Was it just the hope that he was going to be as progressive as he yeah. stated? I was like, you know, a lot of people think I make hasty decisions. I think I often give people the benefit of the doubt at first. <laughs> and then when that benefit is gone, it it's is gone. Fucking it's fucking gone. I'm sorry. It's not coming it's, back. It's, I mean, it can come back, but you got to apologize. You got to admit you made some mistakes before that's coming back. <laughs> and it was very clear early on. It was like, oh, no, you sold us on this idea of this person who you were. And yet, you know, whether you wanted to be that or you were just lying, you know, your actions are not at all meeting that. Even the paper he wrote, which like has some offensive parts to it. I was like, all right, that happened a decade ago. Maybe he's actually changed. Yeah. So I wanted to ask about that. So this whole thing about racial profiling, what is the um, ground that people were standing on to say that he was in favor of racial profiling? It was a quote unquote philosophy paper he wrote for one of his degrees. I don't know which one. I just want to read some of it. Trooper Riggins doesn't waste the time in his tour pulling over little old ladies with a lead foot or white men in family sedans. People who have never committed crimes, my words. He prefers the rental cars and the flashy high-end imports driven by the black men who, in his experience, are more likely to be couriers of illegal narcotics and firearms. Many universities are content to broad characterizations of skin color to be a stand-in for cultural difference in the essential practice of admitting students to their schools. It will be argued that police officers who use racial profiling actually render much more subtle and complex analyses in their decision-making than the law school of the University of Michigan does in its admissions process. What's amazing about that statement is last night there was a police commission meeting. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 10th of June. And a black man called into that meeting to tell them about the time when Del Pozo started in Burlington that he questioned the man for getting into his own car and accused him of trying to steal it in the old north end. A black man in the old north end getting into his car and Del Pozo went up to him and said, are you stealing that car? So uh, take that as you will. So yeah, he wrote this paper. He claimed that it was a philosophical exercise of sorts and doesn't necessarily represent his actual beliefs. I mean, but hypo hypothetically, <laughs> what, what were to happen if we ate all the babies? I mean, you know, we can we could do this all day. Oh, I love that paper. <laughs> Jonathan just, Swift? But just just rich babies. You know, what if we just went after the babies of the wealthy? <laughs> hypothetically speaking, there's no politics behind what I'm saying. It's all oh, it's geez. all philosophical and hypothetical. Again, the comment from our fellow community member at the council meeting last night definitely calls that into question. What about, do you find that there's any credence to the surveillance accusations? I could never find anything. I mean, I think as we're discussing right now across the country, what does it mean to be an officer who stays in the NY? PD or any department, but especially the NYPD for 18 years, moving up the ranks, working with the commissioner while that department is engaging in incredible violations of human rights and incredibly racist and classist and transphobic and homophobic and, and so much other sort of bigoted behavior. What does that say about someone who's willing to stay in that organization while all of that is happening? And so right. while I don't think there's any evidence um, that that's something the chief was a part of. Yeah, you should question him being friends with Bill Bratton. I mean... Whether or not that is the case, which it seems like there isn't really a lot of evidence for that, 
it did seem to affect the relationship that he was starting with the community, making many Muslims in our community feel uncomfortable, wary, and perhaps those calls for a little bit more time to explore who this person was could have been heeded. Of course, that's all in the past. Brandon Del Pozo believed that, quote, I think a lot of it was that I was from New York. An investigative piece on me in seven days silenced the opponents. <laughs> that was his beliefs about why there was controversy around him. Two things. One, think about that media. Think about what you did there. Two, Bernie Sanders is from New York City. Everyone seems to love him in this state. <laughs> he keeps getting 60 to 70% of voters. You yeah. know, clear majority. My family never loved him. You know who else is from New York? Oh, totally. Totally. I guess we should all be grateful Bernie didn't become a cop. I, I don't know. Oh, God. Wait a second. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me, you cannot be parking here. I'm going to need you to move. Or I will have to give you a ticket. Who do I work for? The millionaires and the billionaires. And I protect their homes and their property. For I am Bernie Cop. The other accusations about Del Pozo being steeped in NYPD police culture, that seems to be a very nebulous thing. It's difficult to grasp or quantify. And according to Seven Days, quote, former city councilor Ed Adrian took to the mic to call critics on their summary link between Del Pozo and his problematic NYPD policies. The police chief is being profiled, he said, noting that opponents were making assumptions about his work at NYPD. And now, we don't really need to make assumptions about his work at NYPD. Nobody was claiming that he committed crimes, for example, while he was working at NYPD. The community was just suggesting, I mean, if you look at a work of art by Picasso, professionals will look at that and say, hey, that's a Picasso, because it was painted by that artist. <laughs> if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a cop, it's a cop. <laughs> So one of the other things that had occurred, which got pretty buried, but it's something called the Schoolcraft Affair. And I believe the officer's name was Adrian Schoolcraft, and he was an NYPD officer. And this came up recently again because so often people use the argument, well, there's good cops, they're not all bad. Adrian Schoolcraft was arguably one of, if not the only good cop in NYPD. He recorded conversations that his other officers were having, conversations that were questionable, racist, illegal, and he Messing tried... With the numbers. Yeah, he tried to essentially rat out the other officers, and he was uh, ostracized. That sounds, that sounds kind. Rat out. <laughs> he tried to seek accountability. <laughs> oh, sure. Let's go with that. You know, one of the only cops who actually tried to police his fellow officers. And of course, it went terribly. Like the way he was treated, he was ostracized. I don't, I don't know threatened. all the details. You know, in the things that NYPD officers have been known very much to do. The reason why this is important is because former Burlington Chief Del Pozo was the person in charge of helping with that complaint. He was working for internal affairs at the NYPD at that time. He was tasked with bringing this recalcitrant officer back into the fold, so to speak. And quoting from the book, We're Not Going to Settle, Del Pozo was pulled in to broker a deal that would bring Adrian back to work, basically dealing with the fact that it was going to hurt the police department's image. That seems like NYPD culture that we are yeah, worried about. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't doubt compared to a lot of the other officers, uh, relatively speaking, Officer Del Pozo was uh, more restrained, but the fact 
he was around all of these things is crazy. It's just, it's like crazy that he ended up being a figure in so many. It's like so hard to not want to start connecting dots and being like, well, right. what, and, what the hell? And without being conspiratorial, it is important to note that... I'm very conspiratorial, <laughs> so... That Del Pozo started, you know, at the bottom of the ranks and climbed and climbed and climbed throughout his 18 years. And so at a certain point... It's not just throwing out conspiracies and trying to connect these dots. It's saying, wait a second, you are in a position of leadership here. And instead of pursuing accountability, you're pursuing uniformity and onboarding somebody who is deeply concerned about some of the practices of your police department. And so that, especially with the message and the image that Del Pozo was selling Burlington about transparency and communication with the community, that calls those claims into question, absolutely. And it also is kind of a precursor to some of the complaints that we have later on to how he uses social media and he goes on and would be direct messaging them, basically trying to do the same tactic of onboarding, Mm. but behind the scenes with community members on social media in a way that is questionable at best and i think the reason why i mean there's multiple reasons why we we are focusing on his social media but a big reason is that that was like one of the things that the mayor weinberger and the city and even uh, the chief promoted as like him being so good at it right so like in the press release they even say like yeah he was in a command position within the nypd and you know he worked for the police commissioner and he created the largest social media program in U.S. law enforcement. His own resume said that he implemented the use of social media at the NYPD precinct and housing command, the largest social media outreach program of its kind in law enforcement, which of course it would be. It's the largest police department. Right. And Um, Seven Days reported that he took on Twitter as a, quote, special project, helping to, quote, institute its widespread use in the NYPD, the goal of which was to change the shape of the way we relate to communities. And he certainly achieved that here in Burlington, too. I mean, that's a very fancy way of saying police propaganda. (laughs) Copaganda, controlling a narrative. I mean, to be fair, the way that he was relating to the community, getting into these discussions, either via direct message or threads. I mean, that is a different way of relating to the to the public, for sure. I, I want to say it was like six months in, uh, in the early 2016, there was a crash course that he held for all the officers, or some of the officers, about social media. And it included Del Pozo and two social media instructors from the NYPD. The course went over strategies for interacting with the public, avoiding online arguments, and knowing how to communicate emergency information. Right. So, ironically, think about, think about that. <laughs> yeah, ironically, it wasn't long before community members became troubled by the chief's social media presence. Although he claimed to be a champion of transparency and open communication with the community, his social media presence and other actions increasingly revealed that he instead set out to interfere with open conversation and only give lip service to transparency. So we, we want to get into some of those. Can we go with my favorite? It's not the first one, but it's my favorite. Which one um, is it? In June 2017, someone on the, the police Twitter account, and this is from my NBC5, someone liked adult content through the Twitter account. <laughs> and that is your and, favorite just because... Oh, for so many reasons. It's like, what were you, what you, were you doing, you buddy? You assume you know who that was. Oh, come on. <laughs> what were you doing during work, <laughs> buddy? 
buddy, if you're going to do that on work time, yeah, be a little smarter is all I'm saying. But my favorite part is, like, the, the My NBC5. Like, they have a video, and they're, like, talking to these social media experts about, like, oh, it might have happened by accident, and here's what you do. And, like, the... Right. the Del Pozo's quote is just so good because he's like, people rely on our social media for insights into the work we do, not for inappropriate content. To ensure the integrity of our account, we have changed the current password, reviewed account security settings, and we will continue to take steps to prevent unauthorized or inappropriate use of the account. What they're trying to imply is that someone hacked the local police account to like a single tweet that was adult content. It was pornography, and they did that just... Just, just to like a single tweet is, is preposterous. <laughs> a better lie would have been, yeah, I was scrolling through and I, my finger slipped. Great. Okay, it happens. The moment he became chief, he was already having to deal with police violence. Yeah. Three days on the job, a corporal who had killed a man having a mental health crisis in the New North End, which Mayor Weinberger and, you know, everyone else, the attorney general, no, no one wanted to look at it, even though witnesses contradicted what the police said. One of the officers, uh, Corporal Ethan Tebow, uh, was charged with domestic assault, which is not uncommon. Uh, you know, estimates say that anywhere from 20 to 60 percent of police officers engage in domestic assault might be even higher. But what was interesting about that initial case is that he was just suspended with pay. That's it. But then Del Pozo made him come in and work because... He didn't want to be paying him for nothing, so he had him in an admin job, right? And then after that, after killing a man, a defenseless man, after partner abuse, domestic abuse, the reason he got fired, or not fired, he resigned a year or two later, was because he made a prank call to one of his superiors threatening to kill them. And that is what got Tebow to leave the Burlington Hashtag Police Blue Department. Lives matter. <laughs> Hashtag Blue Lives Matter. You kill a citizen... You abuse your partner. It doesn't matter unless you take it out on another police officer. And then, why didn't we like, start like Ashcroft after the uh, Twitter like? Why didn't we start hashtag Blue Balls Matter? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't. That's why. So, and then later uh, in August of 2016, this was the incident with Hake Pedrosian. And I think this is where it started becoming apparent how the chief's social media behavior was really, really harassment and, and how it wouldn't change. Well, um, definitely intimidation. Again, given the benefit of the doubt, regardless of whether or not he realized initially that this kind of direct messaging was intimidating to people, including this former city councilor. A uh, school board. Uh, I thought it was a school board member, not a city councilor. But rega regardless, if yeah. you have an article written about you in your city's biggest paper about how you're making people feel uncomfortable, you might want to take that to heart. <laughs> and I, I just want to say three days before this article came out, Vermont Digger posted about how uh, the city of Burlington was weighing whether there should be civilian oversight of the police. Hmm. And Chief Del Pozo in that said, essentially, he said that the resolution would create distrust between the community and the police force and that they were already giving out data. So he's already, they've already done all of this. Why would they need a task force when Del Pozo is taking it all on his own? He doesn't want accountability from that community and he doesn't want that like, I'm a member of the public and I also am in, in uniform. And so we're equals. There's just a lot that's lost there. He wants to be able to say what he wants without consequences. Because the First Amendment isn't even about people criticizing you. It's about the government impeding what you <laughs> say. 
But when you're in a position like that, you accept that your First Amendment rights can be limited. But more importantly, he was just angry because other people were also engaging in their First Amendment rights, which includes telling off police officers if you so choose. And that Bedrosian, he was quoted as saying, by personally commenting on an individual's Facebook post, the chief sends a message that he's personally watching you. And when he visits your page and argues against you, the asymmetrical power dynamic tends to result in the post itself being taken down. So that's in 2016, almost three years before this trolling incident happened. And it was already being pointed out that this asymmetrical power dynamic, as it was so well put here, creates intimidation, creates the effect of silencing conversation rather than allowing it to flourish. And I can only assume that at this point, this is August 2016, that Del Pozo was using these same kinds of direct messages to communicate with other community members, maybe in ways that they did not mind. Right. Uh, But that doesn't mean that that's any less, any more appropriate. What's so frustrating is that last night someone called to the police commission meeting to tell the commission that the current chief, the interim chief, Jennifer Morrison... (sighs) messaged her and intimidated her on on Facebook and sent her a direct message at like 10.30 at night. Was the content intimidating or was it just the fact that she was direct messaging late at night? Both. And then okay. and then the woman's comment that she had made on Facebook was deleted. But that's not the point. The point is, how the fuck, like, come on. <laughs> like, how do you keep doing this and not recognizing that it's intimidating? I don't know. Maybe it's because they don't have a social media policy. And so it's really easy to make those mistakes when you don't really have guidelines that can pop up and, and remind you like, oh, that's in the policy. Don't do that. Then you don't even have to think about whether it's appropriate or not. Yeah. Work's already yeah, been done for you. That would be a nice thing to do. But yeah, you know, I that's, wonder if anybody ever crazy. suggested that. No, nah, that's crazy. Only an idiot would have suggested that. And I guess, like, one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this episode, regardless of how timely it is, is, like, my own experience as a cis white man, it, it, it was very intimidating for the chief to do what he did and to be gaslit for so long and, and think, essentially, that I was going crazy to, to have this conspiracy theory. And, like, part of my stress was that there is a history of... American police and military killing radical organizers and activists in this country, particularly black organizers in this country and in in other, you know, in the developing world. And so it was fucking intimidating. I mean, July 5th, 2017, cop on the tweet, chief's social media post draws criticism from seven days. And at this point, July 5th, 2017, it was reported that while the police department had no social media policy at that point, The city was creating one for all city employees, and Mayor Weinberger was saying it will be published soon. Wait, this was was 2017? That was 2017. So that was three years ago. Yep, three years ago, almost. Two years before you were trolled, and... Just quickly, is, is this a thing that exists Oh, now? great question, uh... Gabrielle. Is there a <laughs> police social media policy? Well, let me tell you, the answer is a resounding no, there's fucking not. Right. They, they finally got a citywide one a couple months ago, but you can only have a citywide one if you think that the police are inherently the same as a fucking librarian or a parks worker. <laughs> if you recognize that police are the only people who can legally use force and use deadly force with very few, if any, repercussions, and that we live in a society where if you get arrested, uh, it is 
almost impossible to find housing or a job, uh, especially if your mugshot is put everywhere and the media amplifies it. But, you know, what's interesting is while so many of the people that the chief shamed on social media have not been able to get a second chance, uh, Chief Del Pozo is doing great. Way to, well, way to go I... Brown University for not doing a simple Google search of his name. I mean, <laughs> truly the lesser of all the Ivies, if I may say so, as a Providence, Rhode Island born and raised boy. <laughs> I do want to point out at this juncture also, the July 5th, 2017, Del Pozo also did assert that he had learned his lesson and that he would continue to express himself on his own social media accounts, not posting on individual users' Facebooks. And he was quoted as saying, it may well have sufficed to put it on my own page or our own Twitter feed. So good thing he learned his lesson because that never happened again. <laughs> And that is the end. Podcast done. We did it. Congrats, <laughs> I think, everyone. <laughs> I think that brings us to a good moment to bring in our guest, who oh, oh, yeah, also yeah. had a conversation with Del Pozo in which they reached a similar agreement, and Del Pozo uh, asserted a similar claim that he had learned his lesson and that he was going to change. So we can welcome Mike to our show and ask him to kind of tell us more about his experience with pushing for the very reasonable request of the police having a social media policy. Any social media policy. Any. Anyone. Literally. Just just write down. Policy, any policy. Write down there's no social media policy. I can do whatever the fuck I want. That would have been a policy. We just wanted to start with asking you to kind of introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? I'm not going to say what I do on a podcast. Have you been to Burlington? <laughs> Shit. Uh, my name is Mike Fife. I'm currently a Winooski resident. I have lived in Burlington and the Burlington area since I was 18, so like 20 years. Okay, so you're a flatlander. Um, I'm a flatlander. I'm from <laughs> Philly. All right. Yeah, a couple sidebars in Chile and Nicaragua to make myself a bit more radical and angry. <laughs> Lived with fascists for six months of my life, so I know how to I know how to recognize one. And I'm not exaggerating. I really did live with fascists. They immigrated in 1943-44, and I lived with them in Chile for six months. So when I say I think somebody's a fascist, I just want to be clear. Like, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I manage a program that does crisis and stabilization work with youth at a company that I'm not comfortable naming because they have nothing to do with this situation. Yeah. I think I say that because I, I think it'll, it'll come clearer and clearer as people educate themselves about the Burlington culture and what really happens at Burlington, why folks don't want to say where they work and yeah, don't want to risk relationships because people make you pay. Hmm. Mike, is it fair to say that the work you're doing influenced why you reached out to Brandon Del Pozo in the first place? It's an interesting question. I'd like to think it doesn't. I like to think that I'm just like woke enough that I would have done it anyway. But at the time that I reached out to Brandon Del Pozo, I worked at uh, Burlington Housing Authority. I have no problem talking about my ex-employers. <laughs> I've worked with people, clients who have uh, criminal records, FBI records. I've worked with people getting out of jail. Not a ton. But in the work I did, yeah, I think that influenced my passion for getting involved in this. So what, what is it that initially called your attention to the Burlington Police Department's social media presence? And what, what was concerning to you? I saw a Facebook post from Police Chief Del Pozo. I don't know why I saw the post, but it was two youths, I'm guessing 23 or under, 
they vandalized a bunch of cars in Burlington. 50, 100 cars. I don't know. I should say they, they are accused. I actually have no idea what happened in the case. But uh, I, I saw the police chief post their pictures and a post that said these two vandalized this community. And I'm so proud of my officers for getting them. Uh, you know, we caught them type of thing. And that was reposted by multiple city councilors. And I looked into a couple of things and, and wrote a letter to Seven Days and listed the city councilors to Brandon El Pozo and said, you know, if we're going to talk about restorative justice, then this isn't a practice we should be taking. And I think it's just one of these things where you, you look at it and it's an abusive tactic to post pictures of people. I think the other piece that, that I realized that really disturbed me is looking at the comments in that post from Del Pozo. It was from his, his personal account, and I'll probably talk about this a lot, but personal versus organizational accounts. But the, the, the comments were, these people are disgusting, They're, they deserve to die, and I'm not exaggerating. Like, right. I still remember reading these comments. This family is total shit. I've known this family for years. This family is such shit that that's why these kids did it. Yeah. It's disgusting stuff. And it wasn't responded to. And that, to me, just or isn't... Or shut down. That's not a <laughs> city I want to live in. My concern around social media is, is twofold. One is what's getting posted. I think that people grossly underestimate how much is shared. I think that when something's posted, those threads, that what is said in that thread really needs to be monitored. So if you're going to post pictures of people who have vandalized hundreds of cars, the thread, if you guys go and look at the thread of what was said, it wasn't policed. And so some pretty disgusting things were said about these people. Now, they may have done disgusting things as well, but that isn't the type of thing that needs to be out in the public. I don't think it reflects well for the police department. Frankly, it doesn't make me like the police department if I'm that family. It doesn't make me personally like it either. But if that was my brother or sister or cousin or friend or client as a case manager, that doesn't make me trust the police department. The reasonable options that could be taken are myriad, right? There are a lot. And I think one of the things that makes me angry about all of this, and I'm thinking about it in a context of what we're talking about today. You know, we think about George Floyd or we think about systemic racism. All I can think of is the police and their relationship to society. And to me, it's an abusive relationship. And when I think of myself trying to advocate for something which to me is so easy. It's a social media policy. Everybody's fucking got one. Yeah. And I'm a white man trying to do this. I think <laughs> I, I, I try to make sure that we're, we're seeing that relationship for what it is, right? This is a small ask, and this is how I was treated, and, this, and no change got made. Right. You know, I'm, I, I hope I'm not ruining the end of the story, but the end of the story is nothing happens. <laughs> Spoiler, you know, alert. Spoiler alert. If listeners are on edge, spoiler alert, you know, doesn't have a rewind it and pretend you didn't hear it, but nothing happened. <laughs> We're looking at, at what the current situation of police violence, and it's hard for me to stay motivated to do work on that. Because I look at it, and I'm like, we're not going to get a use of force policy. We're not going to defund the police. I asked for a fucking social media policy and couldn't get one. Yeah. yeah. So like, I don't want to crush anybody's dreams, but I'm also like, without, and I want to be careful about my language, without a show of force from our society, and that doesn't necessarily mean violence, mm -hmm. there won't be change. Yeah. Change doesn't happen, in my mind, by asking for it in a polite way, because you're right.
but I got friends who work in social media. They're like, I'm like, am I crazy? And they're like, no, that's fucking standard no, operating. It's, stand- it's standard for any organization at this point. The except thing- for police. Except for, po- well, you know. You know, it, and, and I think that's what's so important. They're like the Mongols, right? The exception. <laughs> yeah, but that's what's so important. It's like, Mike, you know, what happened to you and the fact that there's no social media policy for the police in Burlington isn't unique. The most concerning part is if like a supposedly liberal place like Burlington can't do something that basic. Right. It just seems strange as an educator. I mean, one of the things that we have to do, and it sounds like in some of the work that you do, if you're working with a vulnerable population, there are certain things that you should or should not do. And and one of those is, for example, like I'm not going to post pictures of my kids or say things that would do what? any identifying Why not? information about What if them? they stole the strawberries of some other kid? Right, I, mean, I know. It's not a safe space for strawberries. To us, it seems obvious when you briefly mentioned that this was on his personal account. But I kind of want to emphasize that it seems strange to me that somebody professionally would post something on their personal Facebook. First of all, for posting something on your personal Facebook that has to do with your workplace, with pictures of the people at your workplace, is a little bit sketchy anyway. Unless it's like a social event and it's your colleagues. Right. But again, this is not the case. This is his personal Facebook and these are not colleagues. This is a vulnerable population because well, these are people who have been apprehended. And what I remember too, one of the most egregious parts of it, at least from my perspective, is that the chief said he took it personally because they were vandalizing cars in his neighborhood. And like that was something else that really was like a shocking thing to hear someone actually admit to be like, yeah, I care because these are my rich neighbors who are getting their cars shot up. But if it's happening in the old North End, I don't care as much. Like, I mean, he admitted it. I think think that you're, you're nailing it. And I think that transfers to what we're seeing right now again right like because our police take stuff personally the main objective as a supervisor of case managers in my work is to tell my employees your work is impersonal not when it's going well not when it's going badly you got a client that likes you you like a client put it aside do your job your job is to help them stay safe is to help them access resources to help them with their substance abuse it's to help them with whatever it is you need to do if you don't like them you don't offer those same services, we're going to have a problem. But everybody gets the same service. And it's crazy to me that our standards are that much higher than the police forces. And I see it all the time. I, I got an employee who doesn't take a note. Yeah, we got a problem. We have to have a conversation. And then I look around at police. They've got tape over their, their badge numbers. And people are like, well, I don't know if that's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. The first thing I do with every client is give them a phone number to make a complaint. Yeah. Won't take it personally. And I literally say that. And in Burlington, if you have a complaint, who do you call if you have a complaint about the police? So the, the police? That, 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 that lead us into the next part of my story. I think what I hope people will think about as we're listening to all of this is there are tactics. And I think, you know, there's a denial of experience that can happen. And I even was, I was looking through some of the stuff again. I was watching the video of myself at the commission where mm-hmm. Del Pozo talks about putting me under the gun. stuff that can be put on Facebook via this media policy. So why is that inadequate if you're wondering what it says, what I, I can't really can do. see that. Um, you can, yeah, you can have, I mean, you don't have to go through it like right now in situ. It's not about, you know, like being under the gun, no pun intended, but you can t- take a look at the policy. We have a copy of it. 
meaning like this is not supposed to be like you're under pressure to, to like understand a policy that if I've had the opportunity to look at, I happen to be wearing a gun. So just trying to say that as a uh, tongue in cheek, but- um, Felt intimidating. Okay, Thanks. so here's the thing. <laughs> he's talking about a document, but he's not being careful with his language. And even myself seeing that and knowing how I felt and how intimidated I felt, which was an honest intimidation, part of me was like, oh, it's not that bad. So I think it's important for people who are listening to this to just kind of keep in mind as we talk about these things, like what are the tactics being used and how would they look in a personal relationship? So when you identified these, these problems, did you go first to the police commission or did you? Yeah, let's talk about process, man. Um, <laughs> I'm from Philly. I love the process. Uh, I'm just wondering, how did you, how did you first address so, these concerns? I think the first thing I did was I got mad and wrote down my thoughts and processed a little. Because, hey, you know, you can't show up emotional. We got to separate emotional from rational if we want to be effective. It's some capitalist propaganda <laughs> right there. But if I alienated some listeners there, just stay, stay with me, guys. Stay with me. <laughs> Combining the emotional and the rational is important. The first thing I did was gather myself. And then I think I wrote an editorial. I wrote an email to Chief Del Pozo. I said, Chief Del Pozo, I'm looking to talk to you about this. This is what I'd like to advocate for. You know, some sort of social media policy would be useful. I don't think this is a restorative practice. And so you know, I wrote a letter to the editor. Might be showing up. I don't want that to come as a surprise. So letter went to seven days. I worked at the housing authority. Allison Lockman at the time was the executive director. She mm -hmm. called me into her office unannounced at about three. I was meeting with Del Pozo at 4.30. And uh, we spent an hour. She started asking me why I was doing this. You know, she's friends with Chief Del Pozo. And, you know, what's going on? And she kind of veiled it with, I just want to make sure you're approaching him in a way that works. But there was no recognition of the fact that I, an employee in an organization, was being called into the executive director's office about something that had nothing to do with my work and had everything to do with my after work hours. I scheduled that meeting for 4.30 for a reason. Like, I'm not taking my lunch break to go do that. I'm off the clock. Right. And I'm not talking about BHA, just like I'm currently not talking about my current employer. I'm not going to do that. And she just went at me for an hour and uh, I left. I'll leave everybody else's name out of this, but the supervisor that I had there had overheard all of it, my direct supervisor. And she pulled me into the, her office and she said, I think you did a really good job with that. I was really impressed with how you handled that conversation. Good luck with your conversation with the police chief. And that actually meant a lot to me. Yeah. It made me feel a little like I got your back. Like you're not going to get fired. Like I got yeah. you, maybe. <laughs> Mike, it, it sounds like what you're kind of alluding to is that the chief's behavior was really defended by a lot of different people who were powerful. You know, when you brought up any criticism, uh, your First Amendment's rights were kind of being trampled on a little bit, just a little bit. There's an irony in how you put that. <laughs> I'll continue with the story. I think that's a great prompt for me to continue with the story. So I met with El Pozo. We had a nice meeting. We made, you know, I'm looking back and I'm like, dude, you were a dumbass white man. We made a backroom deal, which is like a systemic problem. And I fell right into the trap, right? Like I handled that poorly. I should have said, no, we're not making a backroom deal. I want a policy at that point. But I didn't because he's a charming man, Del Pozo. We talked and he said, you know, you're making some reasonable requests in a sense. You know, he was defensive, but we got to an end point that he would not post things from his personal page, but instead repost from the BPD page. And uh, I was pretty satisfied with that. I was like, okay. And I think he also agreed to 
not post pictures. And I think one of the difficulties of agreeing to backroom deals is they're not written down. So now it's two years later. You're like, what'd you guys agree to? And I'm like, I don't know, some stuff. We came to that agreement. I felt like a good white savior. And I was like, man, you are crushing it today. Um, and I went on with my life, you know, yeah. really good. You did it. Eight, nine months later, I don't remember when. It was around Thanksgiving, I'll tell you that much. Because there was a post, again, from the, from the Del Pozo page, which included the back of a person in a jail cell, the front of a police officer. And the police officer was holding some food, and the post was something like, so proud of my officers, we don't want to arrest anybody over Thanksgiving, but when we have to, we make sure they feel at home in the jail. Something like that. You know, yeah, some it, was even, even, it was even and more I special was, than that. It said something about how we've arrested this individual like hundreds of times or some bullshit. <laughs> Oh, and it's like, yes. oh, this person That's is true, any yes. other day of the year. This person is a piece of shit and we walk all over him. But now we're going to give him food. One thing that was so frustrating about that was like, everyone was like, chief, we, we could guess who this person is. We see the back of their head. You've told us how often they've been arrested. There's, this is a town of 40,000 people. To be arrested that many times, there's only a handful of people. It's not that hard to figure out who it is, buddy. The crazy thing about that post was the person was ID'd by a social worker by name in the comments section, and nobody deleted it. I remember that clearly. The other craziest shit on that post is I was complaining to my dad. I was like, dude, I'm fired up again. I thought I made an agree with the police chief that we monitor comments, that we do these things, that we post from BPD page. None of this shit's happening. I was like, and I don't know. Am I being unreasonable? It's the back of a guy's head. And my dad has been to Burlington two times. Maybe four or five tops. And he goes, is it the guy that hangs out on X corner? Gave me the details of his size, his stature, his skin color. He guessed the guy by the mm-hmm. hundreds of arrests. And, and just like, he was like, I know that guy. I know who it is. And this is where I come back to what the tactics are. Don't gaslight ourselves, right? The idea that like, oh, I didn't do it. I posted the back of somebody's head. I made an anonymous. No, you didn't. My dad recognized him. The man lives in Philadelphia. It's also like the idea that it would add anything to this story that he's posting to say that this individual has been arrested hundreds of times. What are you trying to add to the narrative there? Like, what are you actually trying to say? And, and I think that's like what so much of the, the social media presence and the concern is, is that the police are political. And the way they choose to leak information and put information out is incredibly political and it's, it's incredibly self-serving. When we first started the idea of this podcast, you know, we didn't think how relevant it would be. But I mean, just look at, at in Buffalo, that 75-year-old man who was pushed over and assaulted by the police and, he, you know, he's in stable condition now. But there was I thought, he was, a, I thought he tripped. Right, right. Well, and that's what the police said, you know, right away. They said, oh, no, he tripped. And then, you know, they, they were trying to control this narrative and it fell apart because everyone has iPhones now. And when you can see the same video from 18 different directions, it's harder to say, well, we're going to trust these officers words. And that to me brings it back to this concept of, of the details and trusting the details, right? So we're supposed to trust these outlets, but without the details, we can't just trust the, the old man that he got pushed, right? Like, look at the history of police violence. Why are you trusting the police when they say shit happened? Trust the other person, you'll be right more. You might not be right all the time, 
But, you know, as a gambling man, my odds are better than 50%. You guys hit on another point that I think is important. What's the goal? Right. What's the goal for the picture? And I said that to Del Pozo all the time. I never got an answer. But if it is not to embarrass that human, what is the goal? Sucking your Why can't you make this post? (laughs) (laughs) But it is. I think I got that covered. The, 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 the police, even the Burlington police, there's, there's such a amazing coddling that goes on. The irony that I got right. in trouble for the social media post that I had done for my job where I was right. talked to about it. But <laughs> the so number, irony. <laughs> but the number of city officials, of police commissioners, of other directors, department directors who watched what the chief was doing and who could have spoken out publicly at any given time and said nothing. The, the complicity of their silence is, is, I think, what bears down the most about what happened. And the fact that nothing's changed shows how complicit they are. If or you're how toothless. For... I mean, they just don't have real oversight. There are these interesting ideas that police officers have about what they deserve, right? So, you know, you guys have had this, this conversation about First Amendment rights, right? And, and what Del Pozo... There's this friction between the idea that police officers deserve to have First Amendment rights, but citizens also well, I think deserve that. And it's, it's the same thing with like, we're supposed to extend the assumption of innocence until proven guilty to the police in this case, right? But then with all the cases of police violence in our society right now, how does that actually play out? You've got like one piece, which is police violence is inherently not presuming innocence. Yeah. I also think you've got a great point, but it, it doesn't center me in my story and that bothers me. So I'm going to bring it back to that friction <laughs> you were talking about. Please do. So with the friction about First Amendment rights, and I think there's a good parallel that you're making. I love it. And it's like a new concept to me. The First Amendment right, when I do it, has consequences. My boss yells at me. Right. Police chief brings me into his office in the police station after hours, which is uncomfortable. My <laughs> friends might say, what are you doing? But Del Pozo's reaction every time I talk to him is, you're impinging on my First Amendment rights, and I don't want to hear it. Chief Del Pozo doesn't want the feedback. He wants First Amendment without repercussion. Right. The rest of us have to eat the repercussions. And I love the parallel you're making because it's like, well, my First Amendment rights are being infringed upon because you're complaining? No. That's how it works. Yeah. Like, if you don't want a policy, I should just come yell at you all the time. And if I see you out at dinner... I get to be like, yo, Del Pozo, <laughs> your right. social media sucks, bruh. <laughs> and like, if you don't like it, get a better policy because we're both expressing our First Amendment rights. But if I do that in a restaurant and he's like, that's inappropriate, I'm not on work hours. And I'm like, First Amendment rights, bruh. Like, that's not going to fly. And I think there's just a crazy piece there, right? I've got to confront my boss. I've got to risk my job to make a reasonable complaint. Right. That's where it gets to the idea of it being a really small ask for a policy, because what policies do is more often than not, it actually would protect the police force in this in this case. Right. So like he very well might still be in his position as police chief if they had instituted a social media policy when you were asking for it. That's that's speculation. He could have said, I can anonymously troll whoever the fuck I want. And he literally, it would work though, but that would work, right? It would work because that'd be the policy. Or maybe he would be like, oh, wait, this is actually against policy. And so if this happens, like, I'm fucked. Anyhow, but because he resigned well, was he because do? it was Cover inappropriate. It up better? Well, that's, that's the thing. Like, he didn't have to resign because he broke with policy. 
but his position was so compromised by what he had done. And that's partially because of living in Burlington, which is a very progressive place, you know, People were not going to accept that. And the press were also pretty pissed about it because he, he lied to all of them. Well, but but in other I, cities, I wonder, that might have just blown over. One of my favorite things in all of this, and Charles, you know I love you. And me and Charles talked about yeah. this a lot. And we know each other. And we did not work together. We don't and, work together. We have Until the end. We, we work together and, at yeah, the I mean, very end. There's a reason, though. Like, the man brought us together, right? Like, <laughs> we met when I gave you a donation. We were like... We were chill. Right. I, I was, was like, Charles was chill. You were like, Mike's chill for a rich guy. And yeah. I was like, cool. Pretty fun like, for whatever. a rich guy. It was funny because we would talk about this. And I was like, dude, you need to stop being such a dick. <laughs> and you were like, dude, you need to stop being such a wimp. Right? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. You got to do it the right way. You have the backroom deal. And I was like, and then you do this. And then you do this. And you follow the procedures, man. <laughs> and I don't believe the system works. But... You know, like oh, we got to follow it so that that when it breaks, like we can we can like rely on that. So I'm going to I'm going to try every avenue. Chief Del Pozo knows Charles's reputation and his main tactic was to associate me with Charles. It was really weird. You know, I look at I look at emails that went to city council because he we got into an email discussion after the second post. Mm -hmm. But every time he emailed, he was like city council. Mike Fife and Charles Winkleman. And I'm like, where, where the fuck did Charles come from? And I was like, oh, because people think Charles is a dick. And people don't think I'm a dick yet. So you got to make sure that I associate with dicks. Which was a weird thing to say out loud. No, on the podcast, no, you associate with dicks, Mike. We, we I associate heard it. with dicks. You heard it here You did go and, and I, uh, have numerous meetings with Del Pozo, so. Hello. <laughs> I just want to point out, like, the thing about policies and even a social media policy is it's inherently reactionary like what what a policy does it doesn't say this shouldn't be done it just says what happens when someone does this and so like even if there was a policy like maybe that would have gotten him fired maybe not but it's just it's something i think about because so much of what's happening right now in the city is like this eight can't wait type thing which is happening throughout the country which is this bullshit police reformism and so much of it isn't like, how do we stop all police from being violent? It's like, how do we fire the police after they're violent and get caught? It's <laughs> a great like, point. Like, no, we're not trying to policy. prevent violence. We're not, we're not trying to prevent this from happening in the right. first place. We're just saying, what happens when they do that? How, how do we maybe then fire them or discipline? The reason that policies are put into place are that we can't expect people to always act appropriately. What you were saying about like, you're not just going to show up in a restaurant and break social norms. Well, no, you're not going to do that because you have some sense of decency. You have some sense of what is appropriate and what's not appropriate. I'm getting and there though, man. I, you know, more you <laughs> hang out with this guy. <laughs> so that's the thing with, um, with looking at these posts that are clearly inappropriate. For a teacher, it would, there are things that clearly would be inappropriate to post about my students. Like it would clearly be inappropriate for me to post a picture of my student on my Facebook, but teachers might accidentally do that because yeah, we're maybe it's because it's good. hard to keep this work-life balance. It's hard to keep those things separate, and that's why you put a policy in. It, it's not anything that's antagonistic to the people in that organization. It's something that's protective of those people. 
you got to hang with my dad. I was telling him this. He's this very rational man, but he was like, I'm confused. It sounds like you're trying to help them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Getting to the, the why of why Del Pozo was so resistant to this policy. I just want to read a quick excerpt from his email to you on December 15th, so, so 2018. This is, this is just after that, that media post went out. What he said when you were trying to get at why he was resisting, he said, I am explicitly resisting rules meant to govern normative behaviors that go beyond the requirements of the law. I have the democratic duty to not enforce such rules, to resist them generally, and to let others know that they are stifling for democracy and a bad idea. Wait, isn't there one more sentence on that one or is that one later? He said at the end of that email to you, yeah. Mike, I am very so, suspicious of efforts to regulate expression that go beyond the law and yeah. into the realm of normative expressive style. That sounds like the beginning of the road to fascism. There it is. <laughs> there it is. This is again, I think about tactics and I think it's a good thing that we're talking about. But like, if somebody says that a social media policy, a, a police, like, let's think about irony here. Yeah. I'm asking for a social media policy, and we get to a point in the conversation where you literally say, this is the start down a road to fascism. Like, what the fuck world are we living in? Like, that is the craziest thing I have ever heard. And it's like, wait, you think a social media policy is moving towards fascism? What if I want to take your gun? Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, like when we're looking at the process, like that's when I lost my temper. The one and only time I lost my temper was right there. It's, it's hard because, again, you're in this position where you're just a community member. And this is the chief of the police discounting what you're saying by accusing you of fascism. Was this a private email? It's just funny every time. So was, it wasn't a private email, that was, right? Because he, yeah, he essentially... It's a private email. Well, it wasn't private because he forwarded it to every city council. No, he forwarded something prior. I then forwarded that email. So okay. it was there was some reply all going on, and then he replied only me. I then hit reply all because right. I'm a white dude who knows how reply all works. <laughs> I've taught it to my employees. I couldn't help it. I hit reply all and just went, chief, I think you forgot to hit reply all and uh, forwarded the message to everybody. And I was like, I was like, Bridges, light them up. I'm done. <laughs> Mike, did any uh, of those city councilors? Nobody responded. Don't even ask. Come on, man. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. You think I got a response out of that? So, and then so, I went to the police commission meeting, and then we got a video, and then we got, like, escalation. So you ended up, essentially, you tried talking to the chief. It didn't work. Uh, it was an email that went out. He called you a fascist, well, implied that you were a fascist. I was promoting fascism. Promoting fascism, just against him, I guess. A very, very specific sort of fascism against one person. You know, a one-on-one -on -one fascism. That's how fascism yeah. works. Well, it obviously wasn't working, so I, I carried the shit out of it, and I said, I want to talk to the manager. I was so careful in the video that you, you guys are talking about. I was like, you have to present as a white male who is calm the whole time. You looked like, like you, you were have shaking to. angry at the end. Yeah, I left. I shook for an hour after that meeting. I bet. I bet. Can, can you um, tell us about it, Mike? So what, what happened there? So I went to this meeting, and... Del Pozo started with the usual stuff of Mike's unreasonable. We have a social media policy. Frankly, it's a media policy. He kept talking about how like Mike won't be satisfied. Mike won't do right. this. He spoke for me for the whole conversation. Right. And it's so funny because I watched it again this morning. He kept speaking for me. 
And no matter what I said, he'd like change it a little. Like he'd change what yeah. he had said about what I was saying a little. But he was still like, but Mike won't be satisfied. He moved the goalposts the whole meeting. Yeah, So, and, and it's interesting that he would make the claim that you wouldn't be satisfied when the only attempt that he had made to satisfy <laughs> your, your, your wishes, he rescinded on the spot in that meeting, right? <laughs> that was the most amazing part of the meeting, right? I finally just was like, guys, they're talking. He's talking over me at every turn, I think I said. Right. And Michelle Ash finally was like, maybe we should let him talk. And I was like, thanks, Michelle. <laughs> And I started talking and I said, look, here's the history. Here's what I'm asking for. And what's crazy, too, I just want to acknowledge that, like, it was then expected of me not to lose my cool, not to shake. As Gab Gabrielle, you said, like, you left that meeting, you were shaking. And, like, people notice that stuff and they will say that your opinion doesn't matter because you're emotional. And that's why I keep bringing up this emotional right. stuff. Emotion mm -hmm. is valid. And just like I shouldn't have to not be emotional about emotional stuff. To be listened to. Well, and, and I'm Del yelling Pozo for a reason. Clearly, Del Pozo was clearly emotional in this yeah. encounter. Oh, he, I don't think he was. I don't uh, think he then was. Then why was he interrupting think, you and talking over you? I'll tell you. When I watched it this morning, I think he was making sure, and this is a police tactic. It is a police tactic. If you want to arrest a person, probably a person of color, and they've done something that you're not sure you can arrest them for, you approach them right and you make them angry right and you make sure to be in their neighborhood to pull over their car to ask for their papers to do whatever it is that you wouldn't do with somebody else to make them emotional and when they react you fucking arrest them and i think he was trying that tactic with me i don't think he gives a shit i think he knew that that meeting was a place where if he got me to lose my cool he was good. And the only reason I'm mad that I lost my temper and got mad in that email chain is because I fell into the trap. I think that's the tactic he took for years. He tried placating me and making an agreement in that first meeting. And then he did what he wanted. And when I said, hey, hey, hey. We had an agreement. We had an agreement. He switched tactics. He was like, okay, placating doesn't work. Poke, 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 poke. But maybe. I can't control you through being sweet. I will control you through abuse. But maybe that change was because he had a severe no that's injury. bullshit that but no because the but, behavior but wait, started wait <laughs> the behavior started before that head injury and i think we got to mention that so there was that that tactic in the meeting and then when i started talking i started saying what i was looking for very clearly very calmly and right. i'm really proud of how calm i was able to be because you got a code switch sure. right and, and in some way, I did code switch yeah. into my white man behaviors that I learned as an upper income white man. Yep. And if you can't speak that language, you're not valid. Right. Mm. And so I stuck with that language, yeah, like even the, though the, I don't like to. It's like academic language. So I stayed in that academic language. Thank you. I, I, I can't well, break it down as well as you do. And take note and, that in his emails to you, his one of the tactics also that has not been mentioned that oh. I, I was particularly sensitive to was how over-the-top academic he went, which I think is also trying to discount you, trying to It's that emotional you. level thing too, it's right? It's the, I've got four degrees. I've got degrees from Ivy Leagues and whatever. I know what I'm talking about. I'm a philosopher and a law enforcer, and, and I know what I'm talking about. Fuck off. <clears throat> P.S. You're a fascist, right? So <laughs> I also think it's important to notice that I'm asking for this in part because I made a backroom deal and it didn't work. 
this was my understanding of the backroom deal. And then as you pointed out, he cuts me off and he goes, I rescind that agreement. <laughs> and it was absolutely flabbergasting to me. Nobody wants to say shit about that. Nobody sees the irony. Nobody thinks it's crazy that a guy advocating for a policy right. just pointed out that we need it because it doesn't work to have a backroom deal. And the guy advocating for no policy made it very clear that he can rescind any backroom deal he wants at any time because he's the police chief. And that nobody flinched at that. Zero right. people flinched. It makes you feel crazy. When I talk about gaslighting, like it's not him all the time, I'm realizing. They're watching to see who's more emotional in my mind. I think that's the trick, right? And our white culture promotes that. That academic language is used to prove I'm the more rational. Right. Whoever can be calmer must be right yeah. because rational is more important than, than, than emotional, right. which is totally crazy. You know, I think that's what they're watching. I think you're right. They're watching. They're not listening. And I think that's why he apologizes at the end of the video, at the very end. Charles is the only reason I know this happened. He apologizes oh, when, when to the commission yeah. after I left. He apologizes yeah. to the commission for his behavior, which in my mind is, again, it's just a tactic. He doesn't mean it. Absolutely. He's saying, and then you're not there. Yeah. Like, that is slimy. So I got up to try to leave. And I think somebody says something like, and, you know, I hope you understand that we're not that scary. And I lost it. And I was just like, that's exactly the problem. I just told you this was an intimidating process. And I am a white man with a master's degree in mediation and conflict studies. I am literally the least intimidatable person that you could choose from the population of Burlington to come sit in a meeting. I got the right skin tone. I've got the right education. I've got the right money. I've got the right job. You've got the right nose. I got the right nose. <laughs> and I am literally trained for two years in dealing with conflict and difficult conversations. I paid many thousands of dollars for the training and I practiced a lot. And I'm leaving shaking. And you're thinking that people wanna show up to this? Right. You've got a perfect system for making sure there are no complete police complaints. You nailed yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. And it has nothing to do with police action. So what I'm wondering, though, because then you leave the room after saying clearly what you were feeling, and you are visibly shaking, right? Oh, and then I'm Del Pozo says that you are coming before them with this faux indignation, with this false claims of being intimidated. And I'm just wondering, I'm wondering what you make of that. It sounds like you didn't know about that until Charles had showed you that video. But what do you make of him making those claims, first of all? And it sounds like you are asserting that you were, in fact, intimidated and indignant or whatever else he, he, he my, threw at you. For the record, to Gabrielle, as, as a witness on the stand, I am asserting that my, my feelings were honest and my emotions were real. <laughs> A lot of what Bill Pozo did, too, is, you know, he said, oh, it's political. Mm -hmm. You know, he was like, they both ran for council. So right. clearly that's, that's uh, their end goal. Yes. Like the idea that before this week, criminal justice <laughs> or police abolition was in any way a popular sort of conversation. Like the fact not a single city councilor cared or a commissioner. Well, I think it goes back, you know, as Charles says that, I think to answer Gabrielle's question, like he's trying to say that I'm a liar, that this isn't right. real that is personal. Yep. And it's again, and it comes back to what Charles pointed out about the post, this was personal for me. When it's convenient, it's important to say what's personal. When it's inconvenient, it's important to be academic. Use whatever tactic works for you to shut down the other person because yep. you're not engaging honestly. Yep. 
And what's really hard, and I don't think it's exclusive to me in any way, that's why I'm, I, I've tried to make the parallels to George Floyd, what's going on now, is when you're engaging honestly and the other side is not, it is abusive. And I think that that's the community experience with the police force. And that was my experience with the police force. And it made it clear to me that that's how the police force operates. And that's how they're trained to operate, right? I don't train my people to do that. I train them. You engage honestly with each one of your clients. And if you don't, get a new job. Or frankly, when you can't, because people burn out in our work. And the police have no such standard. It's the exact opposite. It's don't engage honestly, because it would put you at risk. Going back to what you said, Mike, the intimidation and how, as we talk about the chief's social media presence and how often so many people said, you messaged me or you went on my Facebook wall or you slid into my DMs to quote unquote, correct the record. Right. That is intimidating. Mm-hmm. Or when he, when he posted about that girl, I don't remember the whole situation. Logan. Yep. The yeah, young 18 year old. And he yep. DM'd her. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> that's that's, that's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> if I'm her parent, I'm like at Del Pozo's house and I'm like, yo, do not talk to my daughter. Right? She is not of an age that you talk to my daughter in a DM. Well, I mean, she's I don't care, 18. I don't care so. what the subject matter is. What? She's 18, so you know. That is, <laughs> but that's, again, social media policy. Like, oh, oh, people yeah. can make mistakes. But it's easier yep. not to make a mistake when you're like, oh, should I? Oh, no, I should not message this person because it's in the policy. So I don't have to think about it. Right. Like having a policy can give you guidelines for behavior when you're in a stressful situation. It's almost as if that were the case. I, I do want to say, Charles, what you were saying about intimidation. I feel like this has been applied to you as well, where when you have said that you feel intimidated, also Del Pozo or whoever else, Weinberger, whatever, will say, no, you're not. And I yep. feel like one of the reasons they might be saying that is because if you're really intimidated, you're not going to be here to talking which right. is the goal of the intimidation right, <laughs> right. Yes. and so, and so yeah, yeah, they're like... trying to discount well you you must not be intimidated because you're still here right which does resonate nobody, with some people some people might be like here. oh yeah that indignation that 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 whole being in- intimidated thing that must be false because they don't look intimidated they're still talking rationally yeah and you're stuck either way right end of the story thing that New York Times fucking editorial. Oh! Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about it. That is about. the end Fuck. of the story. But it's crazy. That shit is going around, and people are like, "Oh man, I just I love him so much." And well, I'm like, again, oh, God. In, in terms of Del Pozo, the the effect of all of this on him, minimal. This oh, yeah, has not negatively funny. affected him no, in just, any way. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. It was really fun and educational for me, actually. You are a person. You're welcome. Your feelings are valid. Uh, No, they're not. Come on. (laughs) 